Uh, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. We shared a little bit about this on Sunday, yesterday. And it's a very interesting uh, portion of Scripture. So in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, uh, it says in in, uh, verse 1, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And And I love this. This is amazing. And this is true about every one of us in Christ. In verse 2, it says, I knew a man in Christ. Okay? I knew a man in Christ. About 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Such a one caught up into the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of it, I cannot tell, God knows. Notice how that is repeated twice. God knows. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable, really unspeakable, words he couldn't put in language at that particular time, being back in his body. (laughs) Words which is not lawful, really lawful there, is he had no ability to fully do it for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I will not be a fool, I won't be... My confidence won't be in myself. That's what a fool is. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he see, he sees me to be, or that he hears of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You can read it all the way through. But here, by the time you get to the end of the chapter here, in, in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, we see two extremes. We see two ways and two extremes. Now this, of course, this portion here, of course, is speaking to believers, and we know that it is in Christ. So when we speak about here in 2 Corinthians 12, too, when it speaks about being in Christ, that is brought out beautifully as we've been taught through the years by the precious Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been taught. That is the first three chapters of the, of the Epistle of Ephesians. The Epistle of Ephesians goes into the height. We as the church are brought in our position in Christ. If we study the Scriptures, we will see that of all the people groups, of all the people groups, In the precious word of God, we as the church, we are his body in Ephesians 5 and verse 30, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, we are his body. We are his body. We are are his church in Matthew 16 and verse 18. We are his church. Again, that's why we teach by by the precious grace of God, we preach that you never go to church, we are the church. Church is never a building, we are the church, and we come to assemble around Christ. So as we get together here this morning, who are we assembling around? If we are the body, and we are, there's one body, those that are in Christ, there's one body, who do we assemble around? How does the body function apart from the head? So that's brought out very beautifully in Colossians 1 and verse 18 and Colossians 2. And verse 19, Christ is the head of the body. We are also his bride. In Revelations 19, 7 and 9, we're his bride. So all those are synonymous terms 
of the Christian about who we are in Christ. That's why Paul, of course, when he was Saul and met Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts the ninth chapter in those first six verses, and he met Christ and he received him as his savior, we see that crystal clear in the scriptures that, of course, because no man, no man could say uh, that he was of Christ, that he was in Christ, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we know right then, instantly, he received Christ as his Savior. That's based upon 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3. No man can say that Jesus is Christ, in other words, is their Savior, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he, as the, the apostle, the special messenger to us as his church, were given all of these church truths. And there's a major, major difference all through the scriptures. Many that weren't the church, and the church began in Acts the second chapters. Some will teach that it began in the ninth or the thirteenth chapters or the twenty-second or twenty-sixth chapters. Clearly, based upon the preponderance of the scriptures, the church began in Acts the second chapter, even prior to Paul. But the heavenly Christ above the earth his heavenly, the heavenly Christ called the Apostle Paul, equipped him, and gave him all this truth. That's what we have in Christ. Paul went to the third heaven in a special way like only he could at that particular time. But everything that he had, and the reason that he even got there was because he was in Christ, just like you and I are. Now, there were scores of other believers and we, we teach this, the cross is the eternal, uh, the, the central eternal a point where God meets man. All the sacrifices, all the sacrifices brought out in Exodus, the book of Exodus, especially brought out in the book of Leviticus, all those sacrifices pointed toward Christ to come. Their faith was in him to come, who was and is the eternal Lamb of God, meaning that God never saw his Son, ever, outside of who he was, the Lamb. That's who he was. That's why the Bible teaches Christ, when he came, did not come to be a Lamb slain. He already came as a Lamb already slain in the eternal mind of God to be worked out and manifested in time. They all, prior to that, prior to Christ coming, prior to that, they, they receiving the fact that he, that he would, and it was, was and is the accomplishment of that, they are a heavenly people, but are they a church people? And the answer is they are not. But we in Christ, in our position in Christ, are of the highest people group that there is. Because you, can't, you don't see... You don't see anyone else. Christ being in them and them being in Christ. Married in terms of the highest intimacy. This is what we have in Christ. It's phenomenal. And we're growing in it. I'm growing in it. Because, of course, in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 2, I don't know anything like I ought to. That's not in a negative sense. That's in a very positive sense. Because in Ephesians 4 and verse 19, to know the love of God, the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Meaning, we get to know it, and then we go on to continually know it. 
Not only that, not only in time do we grow in 2 Peter 3 and 18 through grace and truth, growing in grace and truth, but for all eternity, without interruption, thank God, without the interruption of sin or failure on our part, but for all eternity, we'll grow in these precious truths. But here we are in time, and the difference between all our loved ones that are already passed into heaven, the difference is they have, like we, they've been delivered from the power of sin. Did you know? We, all of us, have been delivered from the power of sin. We don't have to sin. Sinning is a choice because it's in the will. Just like love is in the will. God so loved, in John 3, verse 16, the whole mass of humanity that he sent his son. His son was the fulfillment of his will in John 4, and verse 34, who finished the work in John 19 and verse 30. He did all of this. This, this. So they are, they're heavenly people, but we, are, we have the most intimate relationship with him. All of that is what we have in him. All of that. Now, we have this, and in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, this is being brought out. It, what's being brought out is that you and I, as a Christian, who's a Christian? One, who's considered to be faithful. In Ephesians 1, verse 1, it says, to the faithful that are in Christ. It doesn't mean that we always function in faithfulness toward him, but he considers us faithful in our position because we're in Christ. We're in him. But what is the way for the Christian? And this is what's teaching us. Because if we look at, the, if we look at all those verses, if we look at in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, we look at those verses there and we look at them all, all the way through, we can see, again, all the way almost to the 18th verse in 2 Corinthians 12. Let's look at verse 19. It says this in 2 Corinthians 12, because we're going to see the two areas to the two different areas that the believer can function in. Their position, and that's why the Bible teaches us, sin does not touch my relationship, my position in Christ, but it affects my experience. Because if my experience, without a will being submitted, living in sin, can God fellowship with sin? And he can't. But the position doesn't change. But the experience does. Now his view of us, we've mentioned this verse so many times in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. Because Christ in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, he is our righteousness. Based upon what he has done, who he is and his person, and what he's accomplished as a result of those works that are finished. But we can see the two different ways that can be our experience depending upon what or who we submit our will to. So the chapter is teaching us that there's a, there's a way in which the power comes whereby you and I, as those that are in Christ, can walk through this world. Huh? What does that mean, to walk through this world? Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, and again, Again, Matthew 5, Matthew 6 especially, and Matthew 7, Matthew the 6th chapter. That is not the Lord's prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. He taught the disciples how to pray. That was kingdom prayers. He was teaching them. The Lord's prayer is John the 17th chapter. And in that prayer, 
where we see the most intimate relationship in all the scriptures between the Father and the Son right there. It doesn't get any more intimate in terms of being manifested. His heart expressed to his Father and his Father's heart expressed to him. Thank God we're in Christ because now we have a Father. Jesus said in John 20 and verse 17 in in response to Mary, who wanted to cling and keep him there, and some some would teach that verse, that Jesus was so pure and, and Mary wasn't that she could, he couldn't touch her. It doesn't say that at all in the original. It just simply says she wanted to keep him there all by herself. But he had to go and intercede for us in his, to, to continue his work in his present session in eternity at the right hand of the Father interceding for us in Romans 8 and verse 34, in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, and in Hebrews 9 verse 26 to intercede for us. So we have this way, and we're to walk through the world, because remember what Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John 17 and verse 14. I, what? He has nothing in this world, this present world system. It's not talking about the earth. It's the present world system of which Satan is the prince and power of this particular world in Ephesians 2.2. He's the prince of this world in John 12.31 and in John 14.30. He's the prince. He rules through usurping and God allowing that for the full lie that began in the garden in Genesis, the third chapter, to have its full ending effect. (laughs) Thank God. But Jesus said he was in the world, but he wasn't of the world. Recently, we've been teaching these words like in. When we read the Bible, in, it's a very important word. For instance, in Romans 8, verse 9, the flesh, as some would teach, we don't have it anymore, one naturism, which is a lie as opposed to the scriptures. But in Romans 8 and verse 9, the flesh is in us. Clearly there, there's a believer. Clearly there, they're in Christ. That's the context in Romans 8, verse 1. So in Romans 8, verse 9, the flesh is in us, but are we of it? No. Can we function in it? Yes, it's a choice. It's a choice. So the flesh is in us, but we're not of it. That word of, very, very key. That little word too, we'll see this in the future coming up. That little word too, for instance, in Romans 1, in verse 17, they go from faith mountaintop experience to where all the other all that has to be worked in that mountaintop experience that the mountain has to be worked in through a submitted will through growth to faith and two is a transition period that's why in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18 we go from glory to glory this is a transition a growth period this is a result of everything that we have in Christ so the way, there's a way, again, and then Jesus said in John 17 and verse 16, because we are his, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Who are we of right now? We are of God through Christ. We experience it by a submitted will by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the way in which the power comes for you and I, where we can walk, We can walk, and that's very key, that little word walk, through this world. We're walking through this world. How how are we taught to walk through this world and not settle down? 
Do you remember in Numbers, the fourth chapter, when it was called the tabernacle, they were in the wilderness, which is a type of the world system. There was the tabernacle. The tabernacle was made of badger skins, all kinds of different animal skins. There was nothing to look at on the outside, but inside it was gorgeous. That was a type and a picture of Jesus Christ, because in Isaiah 53 and verse 2, there was no beauty in him that we would desire him. In other words, there was nothing to attract us from the outward. But they said in John 1 verse 14, it's very clear that the word became flesh, was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten, filled up with all that grace and truth is. You see, all grace and truth is located in him. We don't have either without submitting our will to him. We have it in our position, but how do we experience it without a submitted will here in time? We said all those others that went to heaven, they, like us, have been delivered from the power of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin. We, and why? And, and, and how do we walk through this world? What does walk mean? The walk there is in 1 John 1, 7. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And then we have fellowship with his son and his blood. We experience a continual cleansing, a constant continual cleansing. A once and for all, brought out in John 13 in those first 11 verses, brought out that way. He that's washed once does not need his whole body to be washed because positionally he has been, but his, his walk needs to be cleansed. There's how we walk through. So 1 John 1, 7 never teaches, it's not teaching behavior and conduct, it's teaching the character that we are in Christ. The character that we are in Christ. That's our character. Thank God it's no longer I in Romans 7, 17 and 20 that sin. It's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. He doesn't see me after that. He sees me in Christ. Thank God for that. Thank, thank, and I'm thankful with everyone and thankful to God <clears throat> this morning. So, we have to walk through this world, even brought out in Psalm 23, in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And of course, we don't have to fear any because Christ has dealt with it. So, we have a path in which we can walk. And it is that way, it is by that way. And what is the way? Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 6? He said, I am. Remember hearing the I am the first time? The I am in Exodus 3 and verse 14. I am. He said, I am in John 14, 6. The way. No other way. The the there is the Greek article. And it's saying, see this way? No other way. This way, no other way. No other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you walk on the path of a proper character in Christ, we're not going to settle down in this world. You see, because even the tent of the meeting, which was brought out beautifully, we, we at some point we'll, we'll get into that. It was all fastened, okay? It, there was no foundation on the earth because they were passing through. It's like us as Christians. We don't settle down in this world. This world is not our home. In Hebrews 13 and verse 15, we seek a better one, a, a city. 
where it's the presence of God. So they have all these heavenly folks prior to being the church and receiving Christ. They're a heavenly people. They're not a church people. We have the highest position. It is so amazing when we think about what we have in Christ. And to understand it, and to understand in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, to rightly divide the word of truth, to rightly divide it, and to understand it. And, and to understand who God spoke to, and, and what was spoken to others, was spoken to them, but it's for us to glean from. That's brought out in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 11. Very beautifully, we learn by the things that they went through. But here, we, walk, we are to walk through this world. They were a tent people. They were a tent people. It's very interesting, even that word in John 1 and verse 14. It literally says, it literally says he tabernacled. He put, when he put on humanity, he tabernacled to come here for a time <laughs> to bring us God, his God and his Father, to make them ours in John 20 and verse 17. So we see this beautiful truth here that we, that we are, to, are to walk forward on this path. And that path has to do with following Christ and being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, but here's the thing. It, do we have this perfect work? Is this perfect work, this perfect means complete, by the way, it's teleo and, and those different Greek words from that root. It literally means that he is the completion of God. He has completed everything in terms of propitiation to his Father and for us as far as the substitute reconciling us to him. We already have all of that. Paul never would have even went to the third heaven if he didn't already have that. He went there in a special way because of the work that Christ chose him to do in the most unique way. But everything that Christ gave him and everything that he heard and will still, still hear for all eternity okay, is ours just as much as it was his without any difference about it. But we have. But this perfect work of God that is ours in our position, if I don't know it, if I've never been taught it, and I don't understand it, what's the only place I can go back to? Here's what we go back to. And remember what Jesus said, and the Bible teaches us in Christianity, those that are in Christ, there's no neutrality. We're either going forward or we go back. We go forward or we go back. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 19. Again, it's again, think you that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying, meaning as he's edified the same way he can edify. Verse 20. For I fear lest when I come, I should not find you such as I would. In other words, I hope, Paul is saying, when I come to the church of Corinth, and by the way, he's speaking to born-again Christians. There's no question about that. There isn't any question. Even the young man in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, that was living in relationships with his 
with his stepmother was a born-again Christian, but it was being allowed. And then, of course, it was finally dealt with. So he says here, that I should not find you such as I would. In other words, he, would, he wants to come and fellowship with them if Christ is their experiential fellowship. There's another thing, too, that God's been bringing to our mind. What Christians think fellowship is. Fellowship has to do with the person and the work of Christ alone, period. That's fellowship. That is fellowship. It's an exchange in each vessel of the life of Christ that's theirs experientially. And when you experience, and when I experience Christ, we have something to give, thereby in Ephesians 4 and verse 16, we're a joint that has a supply. We, have, we are fellowshipping. In 1 John 1, 1 through 3, there's fellowship. But we, we're to walk in this. We walk in it in our right character through through this evil world system. In the perfect work of God, Christ in us and us in Christ, and then the power that we need is the power of the Holy Spirit to take those things and to show it unto us in John 16, 13, and 14. The way that he does that now is brought out in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and verses 8 to 16. Through a local assembly, through evangelists and pastors and teachers. There's no more apostles, New Testament, no more prophets. And when it says prophets there, they're New Testament prophets, not old, because Old Testament prophets never knew this type of thing because Paul in Ephesians 3 and verses 5 through 8, it's called a mystery. No one knew it. It was still in the heart of God, but no one knew it. And you know he had that for us? He had every bit of that for us. But for us to walk in it, what do we need to walk in? It's called 1 Corinthians 14.40. God does all things. Where did God do and complete all things? In Christ. God does all things decently, transparently, sincerely, and in what? Order. Who is God's order? It's Christ. Period. That's why even... Even in, in, in a sense, in Psalm 37 and verse 23, the steps of a good man, and a good man is functioning in the goodness that's only in God. He's just receiving it. Are ordained, set by the way, set by the Lord. And we walk in his steps because he walked through this world, Jesus did in his humanity, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. We follow, we walk in his steps, meaning we walk in the character of who he is and what he's accomplished for us as individuals that make up, and we, when we talk about local assemblies here, because there is only one body, but one body worldwide can't meet in one place. <laughs> so we have, God calls individuals to certain local assemblies. And by the way, the only way and the only reason that we go to a local assembly is to be fed the Word of God, period. That's why we go. We go to be fed. And even he has to do the choosing on that. Because if it's not God that does the choosing and the leading, then it will be some form of our flesh that will do the choosing. So we're to walk in this path in this proper order. So we have, you and I, we have this. 
everybody, it's so amazing to understand this, that we have the highest extreme of spiritual blessedness. See, God called the 12 and then he had to get rid of, well, Judas got rid of himself. Is that, isn't that interesting? He chose, the, and then the, the original 11, and then of course in Matthew, the first chapter, they drew lots to see who would, who would be the one that would replace prior to Acts, the second chapter. It was still Jewishness at that time. But we see very, very clearly the highest extreme of spiritual blessedness that we have. And it's true. It's true for every one of us. Everything in here. We call them, you know, some term them, and all through my decades, all, all my going on 47 years, by the pure grace of God, uh, we, uh, they're termed the Pauline epistles, and sometimes certain ones, we call them the prison epistles, when in reality they were the epistles of Christ given to the Apostle Paul. That's who they are. That's what the proper term of them is. But it's true for every one of us. It's true for every one of us. That's what we have. But if we're not going forward, we're not continuing to be taught our position so that we can function properly in our experience. We may have the substance to, to function in our experience. This is what we go back to. Lest there be debates. Debates. That's why it says in 2 Timothy 2, in verse 23, in Titus 3, in verse 9, and pastor teachers, avoid foolish questions because they just gender and work up strife. Avoid them. In other words, when we come to hear the word of God, we come entreatable, ready to receive. Because if God calls you to a local assembly, he has something to say to you. He's saying it just as much to the pastor teacher who's not above anybody or below anybody. Furthermore, that pastor teacher is not your authority. Christ is his authority and your authority. He's been given the authoritative word that Christ is to preach to lead people to Christ as their head and their authority and their Lord. We've been talking a lot about that. One of the booklets we're going to put out is Covenant Theology and what it breeds, lordship, salvation. Like a human being, it's left up to a believer in Christ to make the Lord, them, the Lord to be the Lord over their life when he already is. You look at your Bible. All through the scriptures, is he Lord? He's Lord. And we won't get into that this morning. But here's the state that we can get into debates, envyings, Envyings, wraths, strifes, backbiting. Read Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 15, then 17, then 25, and read the correlation of those beautiful scriptures. Backbitings, whisperings, swellings. This is pride and arrogance. Tumults, all kinds of trouble. Unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you. Do you know God can do that? God can keep us humble by the bad state that certain Christians are in. Are we to judge them and accuse them? Absolutely not. Is even God their judge? Or is he their loving father 
about to cha- lovingly chastise them in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, and in Hebrews 12, 4, right through the 29th verse of that chapter. Well, here it is. My God will humble me among you. Do you ever want to not be around certain Christians as they grow or certain areas that just rub you the wrong way? Did you know that that's what God is doing? I may be correct on certain truths by his pure, unadulterated grace. I may experience it, not by any human fallen intellect, but by his pure grace and understand and be able to, by his grace, function properly in, in, in experiential intimacy based upon the truth about who I am in Christ. And I can be there, but God will still humble me by what is, what's going through with others. At times, in church, understanding church government, those things need to be dealt with, but he will always deal with them in love. That's why, for us in Christ, it's loving chastisement. It's not wrath. Furthermore, it wasn't fierce hatred and anger that was poured out on Christ when he became the sin sacrifice. It was wrath. It was pure Justice and holiness and love, you can't separate justice and holiness from his love. You can't separate who God is. And that's why it was wrath in John 3 and verse 36. And thank God, it's none for us. See, a lot of precious men that I knew for years, now they're, they're, uh, they're going through the tribulation period. They're going through it. When clearly in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, there is no wrath for us because Christ bore that for us. He paid for our personal sins without any question about it. All of this is ours in Christ, but this is what we can get to. And Paul said, God would humble me among you and that I may bewail many. That's what we're to do. We get before God And in prayer, hearing his communication, that's what prayer is, by the way. We get in God's presence, and he begins to bring to us what we should even pray, because do we even know how to pray apart from him? And we don't. We need to. And that's why in Acts 6, verse 4, those that are leaders literally are to give themselves to prayer and then to the ministry of the word. Because we may have proper truth about the word, but if we don't give ourselves to prayer, we'll function in the flesh and make even those truths that are right to be something about ourselves that someone else has to measure up to. Again, covenant theology, lordship salvation, universalism, huge out there today. and Annihilationists, huge out there today. But thank God for the truth that we have. Very thankful, and I'm very, very thankful with you. And I don't know it like I ought to, but I thank God I can continue in it and learn by his pure grace, being humbled and by his pure grace. But then he said, I will bewail many, in in 2 Corinthians 12, 29, which have sinned already, listen, and have not repented, have not repented of the uncleanness And fornication, this is just not physical fornication, it's spiritual. 
spiritual fornications brought out in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Some in the latter times will give heed to seducing spirits. They'll depart from the faith. The faith means all those truths, positional truths, based upon the person and the work that Christ has accomplished. They're all ours. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines that demons teach. And that can happen to you and I when our will is not submitted to him. There's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot. But it's not so much that we struggle with what we don't know. We struggle with, in James 4 and verse 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is what? It's sin and it's transgression. And thank God, even for the ignorant things that we are, he will not hold us accountable until the light comes on. That's brought out in 1 John 1 and verse 9 in its fullness. In Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, uh, based upon Leviticus 4 and verse 27, those scriptures together, him dealing with the sins of ignorance. Because Christ on Calvary, he not only dealt with sins of commission, what we knew and did anyway, but omission, what we were ignorant of, but it was still sin. But he dealt with it. But this is the state that we can get into. And he said, of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. This is what they can fall into. Listen, this is what I can fall into in a heartbeat. I'll fall right into it. If, if God has not humbled me, and keep in mind, God has one plan for his children that are in Christ. That plan is designed to humble us because the ones that he humbled are the only ones that he gives grace to. He has to humble us in James 4, verse 6, to teach us how to submit in James 4 and verse 7 and to draw near to, near to him. What are we doing this morning through Christ? We're drawing near to him. And in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, I thank God with you that when the word of God is being preached, you didn't receive it as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which works effectually in you, which believe. In other words, you submit to that truth and we do that together as Christ is our head. And that's why I love getting together with men of God because I need when God sends people and puts us together in a local assembly, he's meeting my need and vice versa. He's meeting my need by every single human being. And I mean that too. And I'll just get personal real quick here. And I'm going to be careful not to shed any tears. But I had a lot of friends and a lot of people that I knew, that I knew, in Bible Speaks, and, went, and then when it became greater grace. And then I went through a trial. I was in the process of losing my first wife. And God gave me, he gave me, honestly, a dear friend. And that, that dear friend is Tom Zeitler. He gave me a dear friend. And to this day, I'll never forget it. Seriously, what a friend he was to me. At a very deep time. He was with me. And he was with my wife so many times. And it always wasn't convenient, too. But he would help as much as he can. He could. He gave us products. And to this day, that's eternal. And we'll fellowship around it with each other in heaven for all eternity. And to this day, this day, this man is my friend. And it's like I, like I, I saw him yesterday. 
And it's so good to see him, to see him this morning. But he proved to me when others couldn't and failed to be friends because they just, and God wasn't holding them in probation in, in their failure, but he, he just was a friend to me, a dear friend to me. He was a joint that would supply to me. And in a type in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one. Two are better than one. And the threefold cord, Christ between them, it's not broken. And when one falls, the other can pick him up. And my wife and I, we had, it was a sweet time. We had some sweet times with them. We'd go to their house, Indian Rocks. We'd go to the beach, but, but it was just about being with them at, at a deep time. And so that was, a, that was a, a beautiful time and something that is a part of my, my life and my eternal fellowship forever. But thank God, though. Thank God. Thank God. We, we so have to be careful. I have to so be careful as a follower of Jesus Christ. What makes a good leader? One who continues to follow. I cannot lead properly until I learn how to follow. And that means as I follow him, I have to be very, very careful about who I'm with. Not judging Christians, not accusing, but being very careful about who I am. Because in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, where it says in the King James, and at that particular point, it's not a very good translation, where it says evil communications, really it's just companions that communicate wrong things, evil things. Evil communications that says corrupt good manners. I could have all the correct teaching in the world, but if I hang around with the wrong crowd, Christian, backslidden, if I do, they'll corrupt those good manners. They will win me. And don't, and don't think that you can win them by being with them. Okay? Unless you best be sent by God. You can see that in Jeremiah, the first chapter, in those first 10 verses. You need to be sent. Jeremiah. One, seven, and eight need to be sent. Need to be sent ones. But those that are followers. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. If I'm following Christ, follow me. Follow. And, we, and that's what leaders. And we need to, need to be careful about who we're with. And what kind of conversation that we give our hearts over to. We need to know what fellowship is again. It's fellowshipping around Christ. We only have so much time. We only have so much time here on the earth to have intimate fellowship with him that once we leave here and go into eternity and see him in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, face to face, when we see him that way, then he's going to give us, in Revelations 2 and verse 17, we're going to eat of the hidden manna. What's the hidden manna? When I was all alone and Christ was teaching me and being with me, there was hidden manna with, the, with Christ and the individual. Then he's going to give them a white stone. The white there is not the color of the white pages or the white snow. It is a diamond. And it's like looking at the snow when the sun reflects off of it, it's like a diamond. It's brilliant. That's the stone that it says. And on it, he's going to inscribe, it says, a new name, which speaks of a nature, which only Christ who gives it and that individual that receives it knows the depth of it. And what that's teaching is, is that we will all have 
our own intimate personal fellowship with Christ. That's going to be based upon what we took in in time. And we're going to have that. We will have fellowship with each other in heaven, like we talked about just a little, just previous. We will have that, but nothing will replace intimate fellowship with Christ. That's just like nothing is going to replace. I can't replace Christ in an individual, and you can't do that in me. It's something that he's done and needs to do in us as individuals. Then we come together as a body in a local assembly. And what, are we, what is the expression and what is revealed? Christ, the oneness that he so deeply prayed about in John 17, verses 11, 21, and 22. He prayed about oneness, and it's brought out in the church and how it should function in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 4 through 6. And it goes right through to the end in verse 32, how that function is and how we're taught and how we grow in these things, how we can do that. But thank God as we close this morning. You know, that was the problem with the church of Corinth. That's why that so much was alive. And they were born again too. And by the way, the Bible makes it clear, they were not behind any other local assembly in terms of the gifts that they had. They were, they were gifted, but they weren't functioning in them properly. That's why the Bible teaches us, and they went back to the flesh. That's why the Bible teaches us that God gives, gave us gifts. He gives us gifts. Not to exalt us in the flesh, but to humble us in his presence. He humbles us. That's what, when we get together, and whenever we're with another believer, that's, that's a beautiful place for God and an opportunity for God to humble us so that grace can come in and we can have fellowship. It's beautiful. But they were so used to evil all around them in the world system. Is, is evil all around us? So I either function in Christ experientially based upon my position, or what do I do? I go back to the flesh. Right back to the way the things that I hated in the first place couldn't stand, then I'll go right back to them again in the flesh. Because we do have the flesh in, it, in us, but thank God we're not of it. Thank God. And there's no flesh in fellowship. None whatsoever. And I, you, I'm, you may have to, in Jude 3 and 4, contend for the faith and do that. But that's, that's not an exchange of fellowship in that contention. You hopefully, and, and hopefully the whole point of that is for fellowship. Whether it's in terms of getting someone saved through the power of the Holy Spirit, he does it. In John 16, 8 through 11, he's the one that does it. Or in terms of fellowship with each other. In terms of fellowship. Thank God for what we have in our position in Christ. And hopefully for all of us that we're going to continue to grow in our experience. But they were so, the Corinthians, they, were, they had all these gifts, just like you and I. But the world around them was so evil. If it was evil then, tell me, Christian men, men that are in Christ, what is it now? Oh, my God. What is it now? Is it getting any better? Did Jesus come to make the world a better place? You mean the world system that crucified him and killed him and got rid of him? Try to get rid of them? Are you going to make that better? Are we just a little communi community church trying to make the world a better place? We're not of the world. He's preparing to take us out. 
And not till then, when we come back with him. In Revelation the 19th chapter, in verses 11 to 16, not till we do that, will it be even that place. And even in that place during millennial reign, if you read Psalm 2, 1 through 12, and you read it in Revelations 2 and 27 and 29, he's going to deal with rebellion, but it will be dealt with like taking a rod and smashing a a porcelain plate (laughs) until Revelations 20. Finally, when fire comes down and consumes Satan and all all of the unsaved, and then we go into the eternity of the eternity, a face-to-face fellowship with him and being with him and in his presence, in his presence, not only delivered from the power of sin, but they, in his presence right now, they've been delivered from the presence of sin. Have we yet been delivered from the presence of sin? No, it's all around us. Hopefully that presence of sin through my will not being submitted to Christ, doesn't allow that to come in and affect my experience. So, Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you, Lord. I thank you personally for taking the time with me like you do so often, just to love me, just to deal with me in every area that needs to be dealt with. And you do it lovingly, lovingly, God. Thank you so much for being such a loving God. And thank you for Jesus Christ who brought us into the place of a loving Father. And when we face you, even when we fail, we don't face you as a judge. And when we confess sin, and that's what we're confessing, in 1 John 1 verse 9, we're not praying to be forgiven. We already are. We're confessing it. And you give us godly sorrow But that godly sorrow that's never with regret in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.